You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review, powered by Westwood One Podcast Network. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Wednesday morning, October 24th, my head is in a whirlwind from what's going on with our sovereignty. If immigration's finally in the news, our border, our sovereignty, that's actually a good thing. It's not in the news enough, but we're certainly going to focus on that today. And I apologize ahead of time. I've been constantly on the phone being briefed by by many different people in the field, briefing people, and I can't remember what I've said on the show in the past and what I haven't. So some stuff I might repeat from Monday's show, but either way, we have a lot of new material here. This is finally an issue that that is really among the most important things to focus on. And, you know, enough conservatives, enough of my colleagues that I've criticized a lot uh, for being doped up on nonsensical things and not focusing on what we need to do are focused on this. So we're going to just fine tune it to, you know, what are some of the pitfalls? What's some of the misinformation? What's the real important opportunities that we have with this growing caravan? And, you know, I believe that. Like I said before, this is Trump's Reagan moment. This is his moment that he could actually be the president to finally shut down the stolen sovereignty, preserve our sovereignty, recognize our borders, and enforce our borders, which we're going to discuss today is not very difficult. See, I have a very unique proposition that very few others have articulated it this way. As much as you're going to laugh at me, the way to stop illegal immigration is to, you know, kind of like make it illegal. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really what it is. And you might laugh, but the reality is the core problem going on right now, right now as we stand here, the last couple of years in particular, is that we don't have illegal immigrants as illegal. That's why we're having so much difficulty. See, if we made illegal immigration illegal, then they wouldn't come. And we have proof of that. We have the new, the final fiscal year 2018 numbers that include September out. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have a lot of new content at Conservative Review but frankly, we're understaffed this week in terms of copy editing. So, you know, you're going to hear it first here on this show before I even get it out in writing. Lots of new data, lots of new information. But the clear reality is that if you just simply make illegal immigration illegal, it stops. Let's have a little history lesson talk about the general trend of what's going on before we get to the caravan, what that means, building on what we spoke about at the end of Monday's show. And then we're going to also get into the Middle Eastern component, Hezbollah, 
SIAs, Latin America, um, mixed in with the drug trade. We have a big article out from yesterday on this issue. And thankfully, Trump mentioned this, and the media went nuts on this. And Trump's really been on message, and this is good, as opposed to you know some issues like jailbreak and, and uh, ethanol where we've really taken a hatchet to him because he's downright taking the wrong side. Here he has, and we need to praise him. We need to encourage him, but we need to build on that and direct him and the broader conservative movement and, by extension, pressure those in Congress and those in the administration on things that they could be doing because – you know, Trump doesn't have full control over his administration. So all this we're going to get into today. So here's the brief history lesson on the border. Let's start backwards. So the news came out yesterday. CBP finally published the final border numbers with the September data. September, as you well know, is the last month of fiscal year 2018. There were 521,090 apprehensions, border apprehensions in this fiscal year. That's up over 100,000 from last year. And if you look at the family unit numbers, it was bonkers. So that 521,000 sum total is comprised of two components, the unaccompanied minors UACs, right? And the family units. If you look at the family units, if you count both between the border sectors, between the points of entry, those are what what they publish as border patrol apprehensions, and then the office of field operation inadmissibles, those are the blue shirts. We call them the blue shirts. They're the ones sitting at the checkpoints, at the points of entry. If you add up all the numbers in the month of September, we had an insane spike of almost 21,000 family units coming in. So now you know why I don't just want to talk about the caravan. This is what's happening quietly. 21,000. That was that blew out the record. So we don't have record immigration in total across the border, but the family units, and particularly from Central America, we've never seen this before. You see, when Trump came in, and we're going to plot this on a graph in our piece. When Trump came into office, the first few months of fiscal year 2017, which was the end of 2016, before he came into office, the numbers were pretty high from Obama. As soon as he came in, January, February, March, April, they plummeted, plummeted. Trump didn't do anything. It was just the perception that he would actually enforce our border, our sovereignty, that he would make illegal immigration illegal in all of its ways at the border, interior, the magnets, the bennies. They they stopped coming. You know, I spoke with a, a sheriff. I hope to have him on the show, um, Mark Donnells. He is... I'm forgetting which county he's the sheriff of in Arizona, but he's the head of the Arizona Sheriff's Association. And he was saying, like, they never, this was the best time of his career, those months. 
They never saw fewer crossings and drug apprehensions. I mean, this was drug seizures. This was the best time. That demonstrates it's all about magnets. It's all about incentives. It's all about perception. It's not rocket science. He didn't even do anything. We have a list of like 50 things we want to do. He didn't even really do anything. But then it became clear that the administration really wasn't changing much. You had some bad court rulings. And word got out that nothing has changed. And it soared up. Started as a trickle in May and June. But really July, August, September, October of last year really started going up every month. And then it really surged at the beginning of 2018. Then Trump started clamping down, started going down a little bit. Then in July, we had the national outcry where everyone in their phony sense of morality, everyone, everyone under the sun, conservative groups, liberal groups, religious groups, all the media, both parties, Oh, the families. So you know what happened? The families in August and September surged to record numbers. Never seen before. From the nadir of the drop in April 2017 to the peak in September of this month, 960% increase in family units. Everything increased, but you know, after a few months, the UACs kind of plateaued. Family units have not plateaued. And from what I hear from sheriffs, from border agents, from those who work in Intel, those who work in Latin American affairs, we ain't seen nothing yet unless this stops. It hasn't peaked in October. will probably be even higher when we get the data, and October is almost over. Although it takes forever to get the data because only the Washington Post gets to sit on the data. Um, DHS doesn't communicate with us. And that's, that's also, by the way, the problem. DHS headquarters under Kirsten Nielsen is the problem. That is the problem. Sessions is good. CBP, some individual agents, agencies, CBP and USCIS are decent. It's DHS headquarters that's the problem. I had a friend of mine who, who let me in into this insight – he, he works at DOJ, and he said DOJ is very much built on political appointees. So, so theoretically, you have a new administration. You have a conservative. You have a Republican in power. You should That should change over. But in DHS, particularly in the media shop, the comm shop, it's a lot of career appointees. So you'd think like, hey, you have Daniel Horowitz, one of the most passionate, thorough – border guys on the right making the case for sovereignty for the border patrol, you would think they'd want to communicate with me. Yeah, but what if you have Obama people really running the comm shop there? That's why they don't get back to me. So that was a very interesting insight. And that's something that needs to change. This is what we really need to pressure them on. Kirsten Nielsen has got to go. Not Jeff Sessions. Nielsen is the one. You have idiots. Some of my colleagues are like, Sessions is a jerk. No, no, you idiot. Nielsen is the one you need to train your fire on at, 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 at your Fox appearances. So Trump sees it. But anyway, all we see is it responds to incentives. Let me take this back a little bit farther. And this admittedly 
is an, kind of an oversimplification. Simpli- simpli- oversimplification of you know, truncating what has happened at our border over the last number of decades. But basically, we've had two eras, and let's just break it down to the pre-Obama era and post-Obama era. You go back to the 90s. You go back to, um, then again, 2003-2005 surge under Bush. It was almost all from Mexico, and the numbers were tremendous. You're talking about over a million, sometimes close to 1.5 million apprehensions a year. Tremendous, tremendous amount of migration. It was just, people just ran over the border. That was a logistical problem. That was a border problem. That's when a border fence and more agents and more infrastructure was the main issue. I'm going to show you a very important focus I want you guys to be fine-tuned on. We The border fence is important if you understand what it is and its role, but it's really the last thing, not the first thing. The first thing is to stop the lawfare, the, the masochism with asylum and, and, and making illegal immigrants not really illegal and the magnets, demagnetizing our border. It's kind of like you, 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 you picture you have a, a patient that's critically ill. So first you got to treat the symptoms. Then you got to address the cause. And the final thing, the inoculation, to make sure that you know, you're good to go for the future, to make it harder to come back, you have an inoculation. That's where a border fence would come in. And by the way, I've written two definitive articles, Google Daniel Horowitz border fence, and an AP reporter has said before that they found it to be one of the most compelling arguments they've ever seen. For a border fence. So I'm very much for a border fence. But understand that in a vacuum, unless we address the other stuff, this is another example of what we've been talking about here at the conservative conscience the last couple of weeks of fighting yesterday's battle when the left has already squeezed out everything they can from yesterday's war and they're on to bigger and greater things that if we don't address them, it's meaningless. And what I mean is back then it was the sheer numbers. People are just coming over. We weren't prepared for it. We have a 1,900-mile border, and it just they were just rushing over straight from Mexico. Massive numbers. We didn't have the agents. We didn't have the fencing. We didn't have the infrastructure to deal with it. So then it was more of a passive insouciance, disregard by the political class because they really liked it. The business community liked it. The leftists liked it. The Bush Republicans liked it, and they turned a blind eye. So then the issue was, dude – We need border security. Border security was the issue. We needed to have more agents, and we needed to have a border fence. What happened was we tripled the border patrol. You know, you're going to hear this talking point from the left a lot that, what do you mean? The border is more secure than ever. In some ways, bear with me here, they are correct. We have more border fencing Better in some areas, better quality in some areas than others than ever before. We have more border patrol agents than better be, than, than ever before. So, if we had today's infrastructure in yesteryear's battle, when it was a logistical battle that we just had to interdict them, we had to stop them, 
and there were just too many. We didn't have enough resources. What we have today would, would help a lot. But what we're fighting today is a different war. It's self-immolation. Oh, we have the agents all right. We even have border fencing in some areas. But now what started under Obama is this literally the 1,700% increase in asylum requests. See, the Mexicans coming over in the two decades before badly didn't want to be detected. They wanted to get in here undetected, find a job, do whatever they're doing, and get in here. Now you're finding the opposite. They want to be detected because Obama started this business of you just surrender yourself and you're an asylee. You're done. Catch and release. You're here to go. Never hear, never to be heard from again. And you're good to go. The courts then codified Obama's disregard for asylum laws. And they made it that now there's this massive magnet, and, and it's from Central America. This is the Central American invasion. It was asylum. It was DACA. That was the big DACA surge. started in 2014. Now, I want you guys to understand when I say we have a lawfare problem, I don't mean the statutes. I mean the policies that the executive branch has implemented in the case of Obama on their own, in the case of Trump wrongly listening to lower courts that should never be dealt with, then culminating in the last couple months where we basically said, you're here with a kid, the kid will be released, and therefore, we, and because we can't separate families, therefore you'll be released. That's what you're seeing today. In, in sheer numbers, it's not greater or even up to the peak of the original just Mexican migration. But it is a massive trajectory, and it's the most family units ever, and the Central Americans pound per pound are worse than the Mexicans. And the quality of what we're bringing in is worse than then. And the drugs, gangs, and yes, to a certain extent, the SIAs, the special interest aliens, the Middle Easterners, the South Asians, the North Africans, is more of a looming threat than it was because they're using the family units to tie up the Border Patrol agents, and that's when they bring them in. So when you see that 521,000 – we had 521,000 this past fiscal year. Those are just the people we caught. There's roughly, it's roughly 50% that we catch. That means it's really a million, and pound per pound, the ones we don't catch are even worse because they're the high-valued targets that are often paying up to 30000 to be smuggled in. Keep in mind, the border, the drug cartels, the human smuggling industry is no different than the drugs smuggling industry that is very logical. It's very market-based, and they have to show a success rate, right? If, if 70% of their dudes get interdicted from the Middle East or MS-13 people, they're not going to be in business. So you better believe more of those guys are not interdicted. Not to say that all the so-called Central American families that we're getting 
that are caught and then released into our communities are not problematic either because many of them are. And certainly the so-called UACs. Remember, when you see endless news stories of criminal aliens caught doing obscene things, heinous things, rape, murder, certainly the drug trafficking, and you see yada yada was, you know, came into America in 2014, and you see he's 22 years old. Well, today's 22-year-old was yesteryear's 16, 17-year-old. Cute little child that we care about. That's what happens when you bring in predominantly young males from the most violent countries in the world. So when you talk about, oh, teenagers, well, you know, first of all, you know, we, we know from our own violent youth, teenagers could be pretty violent. Certainly, you give them a couple years, they're, they're your today, they're your 20, 22-year-olds, which are, you know, the most violent demographic in any society and certainly from Central America. But anyway, back to the main point here. We don't have an interdiction problem. We have the exact opposite. They surrender themselves to the border agents. So, ironically, think about this thought for a moment. The more assets and border patrol agents we have, the worse it is. Because they want to find a border agent. I mean, they'd rather, you know, it's pretty unsafe from... You could get killed by a number of people. The elements are bad. The weather, I mean, they want nothing than to be come over the border right away and come into the loving arms of our border agents, which are very – they are compassionate people. They will take care of them. See, a border – so that that's the border agents. But now let me extrapolate this to the border um, border fencing. There's a dirty little secret. Here's another thing that the left is somewhat right about, but they're ultimately incorrect. They always say, there's a famous line, show me a 20-mile, 20-foot fence, and I'll show you a 21-foot ladder. There's truth to that, but they're still wrong. See, it's not that it's impossible to get over a border fence. Now, one that is properly constructed, like the, the models that they're going to try to construct, will be designed in all the ways to really make it very hard to climb it. But if you're young and healthy, which most of them are young males, and you come prepared, and you're willing to spend a lot of time doing it, you could eventually get over. It's just that it's going to be a lot slower, and especially if you're traveling in groups. So the numbers will really be reduced. But there's something people forget, and that is we don't just have a fence and go home. We do have a border patrol. So what a fence is is a force multiplier for the border patrol. See, if you try to do this, it's very likely that you're going to get caught. If you don't have a fence, you just come over, and it's, it's a lot harder to catch them. Here, it really slows you down. You're going to be either be caught with your pants down on the fence, coming down on the fence, or shortly afterwards, they would have seen you on the cameras and they'll catch you, you know, within a hundred feet of whatever, uh, you know, a thousand feet of, of of the border, because they'll they would have known you 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 went over the fence. That's what the fence does. So now let's go back to the nineties. 
when we didn't have a lawfare problem. The problem was just resources. A fence would have been beautiful, and especially a fence with tri- a triple border patrol and the resources and the cameras and all the assets we have. Sure, a fence is absolutely important. Double-layered wall, absolutely important. In Israel, it's worked wonders, 99%. But that is because what is the point of the fence? The point of the fence is to interdict. They know that if you get on that fence, you might even be shot, especially at you know, Israel's southern border. There's talk, talk about that. You know, but certainly, at the very least, you don't want to meet a border agent. He's going to grab you and throw you back. And by the way, another part of my plan, which is very simple too, part of making illegal immigration legal is, is it too much to ask that we permanently bar anyone? If you're caught, we put down your name and fingerprints, and you can never, ever come into our country again. You know, there's all this talk about the three and ten-year bars. If you come in, you're barred for three years. Again, ten years. Why not one strike and you're out? Not, I'm not going to apply this re- even retroactively, but just prospectively. If, if your goal really is to stop illegal immigration, is it too much to ask that you say, look, have a massive Spanish-language media campaign in these countries and say times have changed. If, if you can only come at, in a controlled environment at our uh, points of at, at our um, consulates. You can never re- request asylum at our border. We will not take that anymore. And if you are caught sneaking in, then you are barred for life. Tell me why we shouldn't do that. It's indefensible. Not even. I'm not going to do it retroactively to the ones that we read the names we already have. At least henceforth. At least henceforth. Again, the way to stop illegal immigration is by making it illegal. We don't really do it. Here's what we do as a nation. Well, don't come to our border, but actually you could claim asylum. Okay, and if you're UAC, you're resettled. And then even if you're not, if you get in, well, we don't really want you to come. But hey, the IRS, if you don't have a social security card – We'll give you a tax identification number, and you can file taxes and get refundable tax credits. Oh, and by the way, even if you get steal a social security card, we won't work with SSA to, to rat you out and go after identity theft. Oh, and by the way, we're going to give you driver's licenses. Oh, and by the way, we're going to not clamp down on voting. Oh, and by the way, not only aren't we going to prosecute you, but we are going to go after those who try to apprehend you. Literally, in Frederick, Maryland, sheriff's sheriff's deputies now have to pay in a civil lawsuit for asking an illegal immigrant for her papers. And she turned out she was illegal. We prosecute those who enforce the law. If you have a baby, he's an American citizen. I have a list. Google Daniel Horowitz 25 no-brainer ideas. All the magnets... The courts just prevented ICE, I wrote about this two months ago, from deporting an illegal because they said he doesn't have a criminal record. He's a pizza delivery man, a new right. If you're a pizza delivery man, you can't be deported. I'm not kidding you. A federal judge said that. 
Laws don't matter. And these are our laws. They're invalidating our laws. It's not the laws that need to be fixed. So anyway, this was news yesterday from Fox News. It turns out, so ICE released the guy. It turns out he was, re- he was arrested again for beating his wife. I can't believe it. I mean, I literally wrote about this case just weeks ago. That's how fresh it is. We're going to mandate that states give you education, health care, welfare. Now you understand what I'm saying. Illegal immigration isn't so illegal. Now let me be very clear. 95% of this is not the laws. You're going to hear a lot of people saying our laws are broken. Here's the truth you need to understand. Legal immigration, yes. Our legal immigration system, chain migration, heart seller, 1990 Immigration Act, that's broken. That's outdated. That needs to be fixed. But sovereignty and illegal immigration, nothing ever in our laws or constitution mandates an invasion. It's the exact opposite. It's policies of past administrations, states, and then codified by the courts in contravention to our laws. Yes, ideally, I tighten up some of the laws. But again, even the laws that are unambiguous – the courts say are unconstitutional. It's a matter of Trump ending asylum, and he's promising to do this, and we're going to wait to see. If he you can never – any request at our border is illegal. Done. He could do that unilaterally even without Congress. And, the, and, that's the, and only if he does that unilaterally will he have the leverage to then demand that Congress permanently fix this. And then, and then the courts just need to be disregarded. Again, permanently, I think, we need legislation codified in the budget bill or get around the filibuster to um, just stop the invasion and stop the lawfare. As the National Immigration Lawyer Center, a lawyer said, let a thousand immigration lawsuits blossom. A border fence can't stop that. That's what you need to understand. When it was just we weren't self-immolating, it was just we didn't have the resources to interdict. So like we'll get the resources. We have the resources. We, you know, we could do better in some places, but we generally have it. The issue is the masochism. A border wall only works if we recognize the ground on the fence as a border and defend our sovereignty. If it, with one hand we invite them in and the other hand have agents in offense, not only won't it help, they'll use it against us. Why am I telling you this? I had a conversation with this sheriff in Arizona yesterday, and I was talking. And I said, you know, I noticed there's an article that had their letter out, their letter just, you know, SOS letter saying we're getting hosed here. Um, it showed people climbing a double-layered fence in Yuma. A lot of people don't remember this, but – you know, the Jim DeMint 2006 Secure Fence Act required 850 miles. It later got watered down to 700 miles of double layered fence. Bush did start to construct it, and then, you know, Obama ended it. He constructed 36.3 miles of double layered fence, primarily in the Yuma sector. Now, granted, it's not in the total in the whole sector. So if it was in the whole sector, it might be different. But it was in. A good part of the sector, particularly in the urban areas of the Yuma sector. And apprehensions from 2005 to 2014 dropped 
by 96% in the Yuma sector. Fences work. But guess what happened? Now we invite them in and we say, just say the magical words and we'll coddle you, take care of you, and then release you. And then you got the sanctuary cities. We have no interior enforcement. This interior enforcement is really important. All the bennies, the welfare, the birthright cities, whatever it is, you got it. So guess what happened? Just in this fiscal year alone, in the Yuma sector, family unit apprehension has gone up by 140%. So I asked him, I asked Sheriff Donnells, I said, don't we have a double-layered fence there? But again, the fence works and it doesn't work. It works if the message is, we catch you, you're out. In fact, we'll document you and you can never come back in again. But if the message is, we catch you and that is the quickest, safest route to catch and release, and then all the internal magnets we have and lack of deportation and welfare and jobs and identity theft and everything waiting for them on the other side, you better believe they're going to come and they're going to climb the fence. The fence will slow them down, but I, that, in that sense, they are right. You could get over a fence. Now, you, normally you don't want to get caught, and you'll likely get caught, or certainly you'll think you'll likely get caught, and the fence is a deterrent. But what happens if you're hanging onto the fence and a and border agent passes by? Holy smokes, I'm screwed. No, you're not. You want it. So it's not just the fact that the border wall won't help because they'll come and surrender themselves at the points of entry. They'll surrender themselves even over the fence between the points of entry. Border patrol apprehensions are going up, but they kind of been stagnant at the Office of Field Operations, the points of entry, 3,462 for the month of September. But between the points of entry, 16,658. And the biggest increase is in Yuma and Tucson. The sheer numbers are still the most at the Rio Grande sector where we don't have a fence. It will help with t- keep the numbers down a little bit better than not having it. You know, like if we had the Yuma fence at Rio Grande sector, we'd have less numbers. But in the long run, it won't help. This is what I mean by fighting yesterday's battle. Yesterday's battle was an infrastructure, an attention, a border security. We need border security. That's not true. We don't really need that much border security. What we need is to merely stop self-immolating, to make illegal immigration illegal. You can only come here and apply for a visa and a consulate. Done. If you're here, we're going to treat you like an illegal. We're going to bar you for life. You're done. We're going to kick the courts out. We're going to end birthright citizenship. We're going to end identity theft. We're going to end refundable tax credits. You can't get a job. You can't get a driver's license. Then you can't be here. They won't come. Even without doing this, we saw this when Trump actually started enforcing the law or or was perceived as enforcing it. It's all – it's not – I don't even blame the illegals. It's our fault. We invite them in so they come. If they perceive that they're not wanted, they won't come. And if they don't come, then you could take all of our border assets and focus them exclusively on the drugs, gangs, and Middle Easterners, and you'll stop them. Now, they use this, and they tie 40% of our agents are tied down 
changing diapers and processing and doing catch and release is when they come in. Trump needs to give a televised address laying out this case and ending it. Threaten to veto the next budget bill? But veto over what? Not the border wall. The problem is the members of Congress, even the good ones, they don't get it. The border wall is important as the last thing. Once you do all this, then yes, construct a border wall so in case we have bad administrations in the future, at least we have that to slow things down. I I agree with it. The problem is what I'm worried about is that we're going to expend all our capital on that. Trump's going to agree to amnesty in exchange for this. Or, or like if we have one bullet, even without amnesty, it's going to be all on this and not address the lawfare, the courts and the asylum, the UAC stuff, and all the other interior magnets. The magnets and the interior enforcement are more important than border security because we have the assets, and if you don't have the, the, the former, you won't have the latter. They won't come. They can't come. They can't live here. Without a job, without identity, without driver's licenses, without bennies, without the education for their kids, without the birthright citizenship. You are permanently barred from ever coming if we catch you. And then, by the way, of course, go after the billions of dollars of remittances. That's another thing. We need to tax the remittances. That's really – that's much – that's worth a lot more than the foreign aid. I'm all for going after that, but that's really how to put the screws to Honduras and, and, and Guatemala. That's what we need to do, folks. That's where it's at. Make illegal immigration all illegal. Because right now it's not. Lawfully, it is, under the laws, it is. There are exceptions, but they're under the discretion. Unfortunately, that's been abused. Meaning to the extent we need to tighten up laws, it's just to prevent future administrations from abusing it. But Trump doesn't need a new law to follow the base statute and not have all this waiver stuff. None of these people are asylees. None of them are UACs. I'm all for changing the Wilberforce law, and it's important to get rid of that, but temporarily he could shut it down without that. Like I said, even if even it, even if they were legitimate asylees, um, Article Two Executive Foreign Commerce Powers and Two Twelve F among two other statutes allow him to just override that. As look, there's a national emergency. This is insane. The drugs, the crime, the overwhelming our commuters. We got to stop this. This is only right. We're going to even stop legitimate asylum, you know, temporarily and until we're able to construct facilities in Mexico and route them there. Trump needs to pressure McConnell and McCarthy to talk about it, and the way to do it is by endorsing Jim Jordan for for speaker. I'm telling you, if he were to do this, give a televised address, give a speech before Congress, laying this out, demanding that Congress act in the budget, get around the 60-vote threshold, this is it. But let, let me give you an example of my concern. Congressman Bradley Byrne from, from uh, you know, he's from Alabama. I'm forgetting which district he's from. And basically, this guy is um, he, he was always a chamber type of guy. That was a much better person running when he was there. But he's put floating the idea of using budget reconciliation 
for the border funding. Now, budget reconciliation is de- designed to cut spending, but I guess the idea is you would, you know, the same way they had the funny money with the tax cuts, they they showed that it was a net budget cut, but really wasn't. So you could do it with this too. And budget reconciliation is how you get around. That's how you would um get around the filibuster. I- I'm not opposed to it. I support that, and I'm glad he's thinking along those lines. But if we're going to do it on one thing, this is not it. It's got to be the leverage on the budget bills to change the statutes. And again, like I told you, at least temporarily, Trump could do it without that unilaterally. And that will, by him acting unilaterally, that will pressure Congress. If we keep the 25 or so magnets that we have, if we keep the asylum and the UAC stuff, It will take a while anyway to construct the fence, and while you're constructing it, they will pour over. And even afterwards, we're always going to have this problem. It needs to be solved now. This is Trump's Soviet Union moment. He's he's talking strong, but he's got to connect DHS. He's got to strengthen Sessions. He's got to put aside his ego and realize Sessions is the key. Nielsen's got to be taken down. And McCarthy and McConnell are problematic on this. They don't want to do anything meaningful. This is not a money issue. It's not an infrastructure issue. It's a policy posture issue. It's demagnetizing the border and the interior. We don't have to do anything innovative. Healthcare, look, with all the dependency and the complex trickle-down market distortions – we need real policy, innovation, entrepreneurship to solve the healthcare issue, and we have ideas. You don't even need the entrepreneurship here. Just stop inviting it. Make illegal immigration illegal. It's that simple. Make it illegal. That's it. Our laws basically do that, but our policies and the courts make it not just legal, but that they're a chosen special class. I mean, whatever you think of Sheriff Arpaio personally, whether he's the best personality and ambassador for causes, I don't know what else he's done, but this guy was prosecuted, literally was going to go to jail, if not for Trump's pardon, for freaking enforcing our laws on the books. The illegals get standing to sue, to fine or incarcerate our, our sheriff's deputies. I mean, that, that's the problem. Daniel, how do we stop illegal – well, you, you could start by not criminalizing enforcement and criminalizing illegal immigration. Interior enforcement, deportations, get the courts out, stop asylum at the front end. And, and that's another problem. I mean you know, even if the, the fence stopped all new immigration, we have so much bad illegal immigration in this country that has reached a tipping point. We need to deal with what we have already. And the, you know we need the deportations. To me, more funding for ICE is probably more important than funding for Border Patrol. Again, I know that's a unique take. Most things, most policy problems are not a money problem. They're a policy problem. It's not a resource problem. Same thing with foreign policy. We don't need more money into the military. We need to use the military for where it actually affects us and not for where it doesn't affect us or it harms us to get involved. It's getting the right policies. So I want to make sure you guys had this um, 
you know, I just wanted to give this over to you because it's taking a long time to get some of my articles out. Um, and, you know, we'll have a couple more. But th- thanks for all your emails, by the way. You can email me at dhorowitz, dhorowitz at crtv.com. Horowitz is H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z at crtv.com. dhorowitz at crtv.com. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've responded to a lot of you. I, I can't say I've responded to, to all of you, but I've seen almost all of your messages. It's just it's just very hard to find the time, especially if I get it on my phone and I'm, you know, I'm just I hate typing on my phone. Um, but you know, the, your your encouragement is what keeps me going. Uh, I want to have some other people on the show to discuss the background, uh, just the where this is coming from with the caravan. Um, and that's the thing. The caravan is the opportunity. What we have in this country is one mass invasion and stolen sovereignty, stealing our birthright, stealing our welfare, stealing our education, stealing our franchise. It's happening quietly. But it's too subtle for, for a lot of people. It's too subtle. Okay? People don't get it. An invasion people get. People get this and they fear it. And you know, I saw a great Washington Times article on how Trump is not capitalizing. And I, I think the title is kind of misleading because misleading, I think Trump is doing what he can here. But it means his efforts are not coming to fruition because the party at large is not messaging this. If they ran on it, they'd you would have a, a red wave. But you're not going to have one because they're not. And the media is doing everything they can to ignore this because they know it hurts them. If you had a dramatic – if Congress was brought back into session, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. He needs to give a televised address, and that's it. Just to move on here in the remaining time, I want to get to the aspect of this that has to do with special – interest aliens, the Middle Easterners. What I found amazing, just an inside look into the psyche of the media. When Trump mentioned that Middle Easterners were mixed in with the cartel, with this caravan, so immediately, immediately, Jake Tapper and other guys were like, show me the evidence, show me the proof. They, they acted like Amelia Bedelia, as if they didn't understand what the heck he was talking about. And I find their hubris amazing. It's not just the liberal bias. It's they don't do what I do. They don't spend the time to really study an issue. And this is there for everyone to see. Everyone knows that there's major problems with particularly Hezbollah, but a growing Islamic presence in the middle in, in the Latin America – just in terms of the demographics, in terms of statecraft, where a lot of these Marxist leaders are working with Turkey, working with certainly Iran. But then even without that, just the fact that you have this trail of those coming from Europe. Obviously, the overwhelming majority – I'm sorry, the Middle East and North Africa are going to Europe, but there are some that fly to Brazil, and they do come here. And – I wrote, wrote a whole article about it today. We'll link to it in show notes. I just scraped the surface on this. There's so much more to say. But in 2016, late 2016, Jay Johnson, noted conservative, Secretary of DHS for Obama, said, 
sent out this memo titled Cross-Border Movement of Special Interest Aliens, noting that it needed immediate attention, a coordinated response, and this was a growing problem. He said this. And what what's amazing is that Tapper went to CBP and was like, show me the data. So they don't show us anything, but of course he's God, so they'll show him everything. And they showed him that over 3,000 SIAs were caught smuggler, you know, coming into the country this past year, this past fiscal year. And obviously, you just had a couple of months ago, you had this Jordanian national that was indicted by DOJ for smuggling in six Yemenis. I mean, this happens all the time. If you see on some right-wing blog, there's hundreds of thousands of Middle Easterners pouring over. Yeah, that's made up. But this is a problem. And he was like, I don't see it. Like, as if 3,000 is nothing. And as I told you, the interdiction rate in general is 50%, but for Middle Easterners, it's going to be much lower because they successfully bring them in. They get paid good money to do it while the Latin American family units are being shoved into the arms of the border agents. So I think it's very likely that there's at least 10,000 coming every year. That's very troubling. Middle Easterners coming through the border – if there's 10,000, 7,000 per year, that's a big deal. That's well known. Well, a lot of my friends working at DEA, and I got some good uh, comments from Michael Braun, a great patriot. He was the number three guy at DEA for years. The operations guy, head of operations, he gave me a great quote for this article. And this guy literally spent years in the jungles of Central and South America dealing with the drug cartels, dealing with Hezbollah. He knows these routes, and they're taking an SIA route here. And the the media just revels in their ignorance. So one of the things a lot of my friends are former DA or uh, my buddy Joseph Humeyer, who is one of the foremost experts on Latin American affairs, what they were telling me is that before something becomes political – the media is totally interested. The journalistic intrigue kicks in. And they're like, yeah, you know, this is a problem. Let's talk about it. And they'll have them on and they'll report on it. The minute it's like, oh, well, Trump, immigration. I, no, I don't think this happens. Doesn't happen. Show me. Show me. They're such hacks. They really are. They just enjoy being ignorant or feign ignorance on this issue. It's funny, when I was asking my buddy Derek Maltz, former head of DA's Special Operations Division, he told me that there was this whole problem that he busted up hundreds, quote, hundreds of used car lots owned by Shiite Muslim immigrants in America funneling money to Hezbollah and the cocaine trade. And I said, hey, could you send me a good resource on this? And then he texts me his CNN interview he did in 2012 with them, with Wolf Blitzer. Blitzer was talking about this. And you see the funny thing. Before this became political, it was obvious to everyone. Obvious. And you have to understand, back then, that was during the Obama administration. So this was officially the head of DA special operations under Obama. They didn't know Derek's politics, that he was a conservative. They were all into it. There's no consistency. 
And again, over the last two years, this has gotten really bad. As um, Michael Braun said to me, and, and, and Michael, you know, you're not going to get another person on the face of the planet who has more expertise in this. He said Hezbollah and Iran's IRGC Quds Force have significantly increased their footprint throughout Latin America and Mexico over the past decade. Hezbollah's growing involvement in the global cocaine trade over the past decade has resulted in the formation of alliances with the Colombian and Mexican drug trafficking cartels, the most sophisticated transnational organized crime syndicates law enforcement has ever faced. Like I told you, you don't need to look at right-wing blogs. When Politico runs a three- Part series earlier this year exposing how Obama shut down Operation Cassandra as an agreement with the Iranian government to grease the skids of the Iran deal. That's a big deal. That Iran's number one request of Obama, you know, it wasn't, hey, I want this in the Straits of Hormuz or what you're doing in Syria or what you're doing in Iraq. It was shut down your efforts to combat Hezbollah in Latin America. That's a big deal, folks. That is a big deal. And that is why Vice President Mike Pence doubled down and used the strong term. And, you know, he's kind of like a mealy mouth guy. And he said it's inconceivable, quote, inconceivable that Middle Easterners aren't mixed in. How many? Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that. And my sources from Guatemalan law enforcement say they've arrested in 72 hours 100 SIAs, 100. Okay, it's not going to be a majority of them. It's not going to be a plurality of them, but it's not the point. It's a very big problem. Also, remember, they're passing right now as we speak through the Southwest District of Chiapas, which has a growing problem of indigenous people being converted to Islam by the Iranian Lebanese operatives that have been on the ground there. And they're seamlessly... Because you have to understand this liberation theology Marxism that has been present for decades in Latin America is a perfect transition into Islam. And they're really feeding on that. Vincente freaking Fox. I mean, Vincente Fox, none other than for the former pre, you know, Mexican president who has all these profanity-laced uh, videos about Trump and everything, an open borders guy. Uh, he, he he accused Muslims in Chiapas of being tied to Al-Qaeda. This is when he was president. This is a very big problem. There's tons of congressional testimony on this. But these guys are like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like they're not serious people. They act like they're the arbiters of, of thought and uh, uh, respected uh, political thought. They, they know nothing. They're dumb as mud. They don't take the time. They spend all day just focusing on the soap operas. They don't, they don't know anything. You know, I've criticized our own media, conservative media, for being kind of vacuous, but these guys certainly are. So anyway, that, that's the story with uh, what's going on here. Trump needs to give a televised address, call on Congress to invite him, give a speech before Congress. Can you imagine right days before the election, forcing them to come back, forcing them to act on five, six items. Now, they're not going to do it. You want a red wave? That's your red wave. You're going to have, imagine he'd, he'd praise ICE and Border Patrol, talk about terrorists and drugs and gangs. 
and and show the Democrats booing or you know booing law enforcement, booing the Border Patrol, it would crush them. Crush them. I wish more people would call for this. That's the thing. Trump's in the right direction. Got to push him. Push him more. Take it to the next level. And stop beating up on Sessions and instead turn your fire on Kirsten Nielsen. Anyway, folks, you know, I've had a long week. And the only way I could function is by sleeping property, pro- properly. And the only way I can do that is because I went to sleep.com, purple.com. That's purple.com. I need to go to sleep. but And I get a purple mattress. My purple mattress is so good. My wife is jealous of me. She wants her own now. And uh, we, we take turns on it um, going back and forth because we only got, we, we, we got one uh, twin size. So, you know, we use it as kind of the auxiliary and it's, it's a real treat. I really want to get another one along with my pillow and cushion. Go to purple.com and look at their products. These pillows, cushions, and mattresses, really want to focus on the mattresses today. They were made with perfect comfort. Perfect comfort. It was founded by two brothers who are developing this cushioning technology for over 30 years in medical beds and wheelchairs. And they patented this material for commercial use now. And this patented technology that they created in purple is the world's most scientific mattresses. It's like nothing you've ever felt. I don't know how to describe it. It's just a perfect mix of sleeping on comfortable air, but also, it's, it's firm as anything, so it doesn't hurt you on the pressure points. And the purple mattresses will probably feel, I'm telling you, it is made with rocket science. Materials feel very unique. And it's also very breathable, which is important in, um, in the summer months, although it's getting cooler now, obviously. So, it gives you this zero-gravity feel in any sleeping position. You don't have to sit and toss and turn. Stop the tossing and turning. You get a 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for, for a full refund. Shipping is free. Returns are free. But if you want to keep it, it's backed by a 10-year warranty. So here's what I need you to do. I know you're going to love purple. I know you want it. I know you need a good night's sleep to do whatever you're doing, whether it's fighting liberals or earning a living doing something else. So this is a free purple pillow offer with the purchase of your mattress. And that's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. So go check out their website, but then pick up your phone and text Daniel to 474747. The only way to get your free pillow, remember, with this mattress, and it's 100 days free with the mattress, is to text Daniel to 474747. That is Daniel, 47, 47, 47. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conscience.